He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran into the herd and the calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but he did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. As Prophet Jeremiah said, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for God. Do you believe that? Sarah believed that, and, and I think she did believe it at the same time. You see her participating in the covenant. A, 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 God calls Abraham and says, walk before me. And, and Sarah is going along with it. She's participating in the promises of God. You even see it practically. The Lord appears to Abraham. It's, it's God and these two angels Abraham is trying to, to arrange everything. Good hospitality, good Bedouin, Middle Eastern hospitality, trying to arrange everything and host the guests. And, and Sarah's participating. She's, she's going along with it. She's, she's baking and, and preparing things. They're trying, this couple's trying to host the Lord. And yet, she laughed when God said, You're going to have a baby. So she believed, but she didn't believe. And I think we can relate to that. Believe, but we don't believe. Now, for some of you, maybe you're openly skeptical of Christianity and the claims of the Bible, the more outrageous claims of the Bible, the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus, the idea that everything we see comes from God, from a creator, by design, that it's not an accident. Maybe some of those greater claims of Christianity you're, you're just not okay with. You've wrestled to comprehend and, and wrestled to trust those claims, those great, outrageous claims. Maybe some of you are saying, well, I'm beyond that. I wrestled with that 20 years ago, and I'm not dealing with any of that. I, 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 I reasoned it all out. I trust the claims of the Bible, and, and I'm beyond that. And I've moved forward in my walk with the God of the Bible. 
well, that's wonderful, but wouldn't you admit, wouldn't you admit that even years after you give yourself in faith to the God of the Bible, you still doubt? Maybe not the big claims, maybe you just wrestle with the far less outrageous claims of the God of the Bible. For instance, we're told in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry. Don't worry because your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And you're more valuable than the little birds that He takes care of. And yet, we still worry. 1 John, the New Testament, tells us if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful. If we confess our sin and our brokenness to God and our rebellious hearts and actions, He will forgive us. And yet, we doubt that we are forgivable. We struggle to believe. Even after many years, we struggle to believe that our sins are forgivable. And we struggle to forgive one another. So, some people still struggle with the idea of these outrageous, miraculous claims of the Bible. But most of us still struggle with the very mundane, unglamorous claims of this God who says, you don't need to worry. I will forgive you. God is loving. God is trustworthy. Those are the things every day that we struggle to believe. And if that's you, if, if, if you're in that tension... Whether you've been a, a follower of Jesus for a long time or whether you're skeptically looking at this whole thing and going, I'm not sure about this, this God. I'm not sure about the God of the Bible. Okay, well, wherever you're coming from, don't we all believe and yet not really believe? Maybe you don't believe at all, but I have a feeling that most of the people in this room are, are struggling with the tension of belief and unbelief. And then if that's you, I want to encourage you today... Living by faith. As Abraham and Sarah are learning how to walk with this God. They didn't know when they were young. They didn't know when they were young. But living by faith requires an active struggle to overcome your doubts. Faith is not passive. It is active. And living by faith is an active, continual struggle against the doubts that persist. And what I want to talk to you today about is the evidence of unbelief in us, the enemy of unbelief in us, and the gift of faith. I want to talk to you about how to recognize your doubt, how to fight your doubt, and how you're delivered from it. The evidence of unbelief, the enemy of unbelief, and the gift of faith. Now, here's how you can recognize your doubt. The evidence of unbelief in our lives is often found in patterns. Patterns of our behavior and patterns of our thinking. And sometimes as you begin to examine your thought patterns and your behavioral patterns, you can begin to see evidences of your unbelief. So for Sarah here, it's laughter. Sarah's laughter was cloaking her unbelief in what God was saying to her. So as I said earlier, Abraham is visited by none other than the Lord. Now, he sees three men, but as you keep reading in Genesis 18 and on to 19, it's very clear 
the narrator is saying that the Lord God visited Abraham with two angels. And in verse 10, the Lord tells Abraham, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah is listening in the background. She's, she's hidden from Abraham's side. She's, she's behind the tent. She's listening in, and she snickers. And in verse 12, we're told, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, and my Lord, she's talking about Abraham, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? This is what she's saying. I am post-menopause. Okay? Abe is tired and old and has very little energy left in him. We are past the days of sex and procreation. It is not going to happen. It, the, that's what the, the Hebrew, the, the English expression, the way of women was beyond Sarah. It, it just means she's post-menopause. Actually, I like the way John Calvin put it. It is contrary to nature that children should be promised to decrepit old men. You <laughs> may have not thought that was funny, but I think it's very funny. And that's really what Sarah's wondering. My decrepit old Abe and I, I don't think so. It's not going to happen. Now, the commentator Joyce Baldwin, I really appreciate her insight into what Sarah's doing here. Joyce Baldwin wrote that what Sarah was doing is guarding herself against getting disappointed yet again. Now, think about Sarah. It's been almost 25 years since the first iteration of the promise. When, when God first introduced himself to this couple, it's been two and a half decades since this promise has been lingering in their, in, their, uh, in their minds. It's been almost 14 years since the fiasco with Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's illegitimate son. So that Sarah is an old woman who has endured decades of barrenness in a traditional culture where family was the big deal for a woman and decades of disappointment. And she is, in a sense, through the laughter, guarding her heart. People develop some sophisticated ways of coping with life. But beneath all of the sophistication is really just a simple lack of faith. Now, for some people, since Sarah laughed here, you know, some people use humor, right, to, to, to hide things. I did that as a kid. Some, sometimes you try to be funny and get people to laugh so that they'll ignore the things about you that, that you're ashamed about. Hopefully people won't pick on your shortcomings and your weaknesses, the obvious ones, if you can get them laughing and through humor get them to like you. Some comedians say that. That's how they became funny people because they saw that it made life go more easily for them. Maybe it's not that. I mean, humor is a good thing. You can use it, though, in an unproductive way, can't you? Uh, but let's forget about laughter, forget about humor. What about your work ethic? Maybe some of you have an amazing work ethic, but what nobody sees is the hidden ethic that you will never be poor like your family was growing up. That's why you work so hard. Maybe gaming is... I'm not a big gamer. I know some folks are. Maybe gaming is more than a hobby for you. Maybe it's an obsession. But maybe it's an obsession because it's an escape, a total escape 
from relationships that you need to tend to. It could be many things that I haven't mentioned, but we develop sophisticated ways of coping. And what's really underneath all of it is a simple lack of faith. Behavioral habits come from the way we think. Your behavior, the default way you deal with danger, stress, conflict, disappointment, waiting for answers, our default ways of behaving, they're all based on how we think. And how we think is dependent upon whether there is a simple lack of faith in us or whether there is a simple faith. Either we trust God or we don't in every situation. I'm not just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe that a God exists. No, I mean, in every situation, we either trust Him or we don't. And that fuels our thinking. And our thinking fuels our behavior. But God responds. God always responds, and He responds with questions. So He asks Abraham and Sarah some questions. And the first thing He says is, where is Sarah? where she is, but where is Sarah? And then he says, why did Sarah laugh? And that freaks her out. Now, this is no ordinary visitor. How did he know I was laughing to myself behind the tent? Sarah. Why did Sarah laugh? God asked a lot of questions. You remember Genesis chapter 3, right in the beginning when Adam and Eve messed the whole thing up and God, God shows up? Where are you? And God said to Cain, after Cain had murdered his brother. Where's your brother? Jesus did this a lot too. He would ask questions. What do you want me to do for you? Why do you call me good? By the way, here's why the God of the Bible asks questions. It's not because he needs information. It's because you need some information. God asks questions not because he needs to understand something, but usually because you need to understand something. And the central question here for this couple is found in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Scottish preacher Alistair Begg made a great little observation in, in a book about Christmas time, in a book about the claims of the virgin birth and the incarnation of the Son of God. He said, you know, it's interesting, 200 years ago, physicians and scientists and anybody, especially anybody in society, would have laughed at the idea that we could somehow produce human beings outside of the normal reproductive process. Laughed at the idea. But lo and behold, in vitro fertilization and like scientific procedures, that's exactly what humanity is able to do now produce a human life, produce conception outside of the typical reproductive process. Yet, Alistair Begg says, yet he says we won't believe when you consider the incarnation that God could become a human being and impregnate that a virgin could conceive. He said, wait a minute, why are we unwilling to trust our Creator?" to accomplish life in his own way when we find ways of doing it ourselves through science. And I think that's important here 
Uh, because here's something else that John Calvin said that really sheds light on, I think, what Alistair Begg is saying as we relate it to Sarah's struggle to believe the promise that she would still have a child. Calvin wrote, Her sin consisted in this alone, that having fixed her thoughts too much on the accustomed order of nature, she didn't give glory to God by expecting from him a miracle which she was unable to conceive in her mind. She limited the power of God with the bounds of her own sense. And back to something that Joyce Baldwin says in her commentary. She says, it's more outrageous, it is more irrational to place human limitations on our Creator than it is to trust His outrageous claims. You say God makes some outrageous claims, it is more outrageous to limit Him by our own human sensibilities. So, that was Sarah's situation. What is, what is yours? By examining your patterns of thinking, which come from, I'm sorry, by examining your patterns of behavior in difficult situations, which really reflect the patterns of the way you think, which really, really you'll be able to uncover little remnants of unbelief in your life. Examining yourself personally, your behavior, your thinking, you can begin to recognize areas of doubt simple unbelief. And once you recognize these specific forms of doubt, now the Christian can confront them. Now you see where they are, you re they're revealed to you, now you can do something about it. Now you can fight back. Now here's how you fight doubt. The enemy of unbelief is faith. Very simple. The prayer of faith for faith. The enemy of doubt is the prayer of faith for faith. Asking God to give you the simple faith to trust Him. In the Gospels, we're told uh, that during Jesus' ministry, a father, a father who had a sick child, a sick boy, who apparently was spiritually oppressed, demon-possessed, demon and was affecting his health and what he was doing. The father comes to Jesus and asks for help. The father believed, but not really. And he says to Jesus, he explains what's been going on, and then he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. the struggle between trust and a lack of trust. So I think the counterattack to a simple lack of faith is a simple request for faith. Are you looking for something exotic and crazy? It's kind of simple. You fight doubt by asking God to give you the ability to trust Him. Now are you thinking, well, wait a minute, I've been a Christian for a long time, or I would imagine that as I grow in, in my faith, as I mature as a Christian, as I continually walk with God, I shouldn't struggle to believe anymore. Right? We shouldn't struggle to believe if we've been walking with God for a long time. Well, I, we shouldn't struggle with doubt, but we do. That's how I'm going to answer that. We shouldn't struggle with doubt, but we do. 
And I'm going to read to you just a snippet of a letter from C.S. Lewis to a friend of his. And he addresses this very issue. He wrote, I think the trouble with me is lack of faith. This is after he became a Christian. I think the trouble with me is lack of faith. I have no rational ground for going back on the arguments that convinced me of God's existence. But the irrational dead weight of my old skeptical habits and the spirit of this age and the cares of the day steal away all my lively feeling of the truth. And often when I pray, I wonder if I'm not posting letters to a non-existent address. Mind you, I don't think so. The whole of my reasonable mind is convinced. I often feel so. The sinful nature, Lewis admits, is cunning. You follow the God of the Bible, you're still a sinner. You're a forgiven one, but you're still a sinner. And our sinful nature, I think my sinful nature is more subtle and cunning now than it was when I first started following Jesus decades ago. Is it has to work way harder to dupe me and deceive me. And it finds ways. And then I doubt so, so our sinful nature is still, is still cunning uh, and still tenacious. The world is still attractive in how it solves problems and how it gets ahead. Satan is still our spiritual adversary, and he is still a deceiver. It's not his fault. It's our fault when we doubt. Nonetheless, he's there. He's there tempting us to not believe that our Creator is trustworthy. The initial belief in Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection, that those outrageous, wonderful claims that you struggle to believe at first, but once you comprehend them, they become quite rational to you and you trust in them. That initial belief in Jesus, it must lead to equal trust in every mundane area of your life. The same faith that leads you to say, yes, Jesus died for me and rose from the dead to secure my place with God forever and reconcile me to Him, it's the same amount of faith is required to trust Him every day. In the small little ways of your life, having a critical spirit, Maybe you're just a negative person and you tend to shoot people down. A lack of faith is underneath that. And you need to believe just as much now as you did when you first trust Christ. Maybe you're not a critical person, but maybe you have a hard time forgiving other people. And you need to learn how to trust that God can do anything, even with your unforgiving heart. Maybe you worry. Maybe you're, you believe Jesus died for you, but you just worry and worry. You get yourself all worked up, and you dive into a tailspin because you worry so much. Maybe, maybe you're just addicted to stuff. Or maybe you're angry. You believe, but you're angry a lot. Maybe you're jealous. Maybe you believe in the God of the Bible, but... You look at what people have and how they are and it, it bothers you that you're not that way. Or that you don't have those things, even if they're intangible things. 
So in all these areas, we have the privilege in Jesus Christ to boldly ask Him for the simple ability to trust. For simple faith, the prayer of faith for faith. You want help with your unbelief in a particular situation? I just mentioned a few, okay? You want help to believe in a particular place in your life, maybe you're struggling to pay the bills. You just end of the month, you don't have enough. Or maybe you're just struggling to pass some class. <laughs> you're worried you're not gonna. When the semester is over, you're you're gonna get kicked out. Maybe uh, maybe you just have a hard time respecting your spouse, treating the person that you married with honor and respect, even if you don't feel they always deserve it. Just loving them and respecting them in honor. I don't know. Whatever it is that you can't do and you wish God would do for you and change and finally get you past this struggle in your life, whatever that is, make a distinction now. Make a distinction between what you saw the Father do when he met with Jesus. Because the man showed up saying, Jesus, I need you to heal my son. And he left saying, Jesus, I need you to give me faith. So he started by looking at his most immediate felt need, and he ended up realizing, I have a greater need. Because my son could get well, but I still need faith. I still need to trust. And you have to make, we need to make that distinction. While asking God for, for what we need immediately, don't miss the opportunity to ask him for the greater need, which is to, to trust him. That was Sarah's problem. Sarah's problem was not barrenness. She thought it was. Sarah's problem was unbelief. You think your problem is a lack of rest. I think my problem quite often is not having rest. Not having the ability to be just silent by myself and not have issues and needs and people needing me all the time. I, sometimes I'm jealous of other people's rest and silence and ability to do whatever they want for an extended period of time. That, that's me. Maybe for you, it's it's something else. You know, maybe maybe you need more money. Maybe you need some friends. Maybe you need to get along with the person uh, that's married you. Maybe in whatever situation you are, you feel trapped. You feel you can't be who you want to be. You can't do what you want to do, and you feel trapped. But your problem, fundamentally, is that you don't trust God. You're asking God, get me out of this situation. Give me what I lack. Give me what I want. What you really need, God says, is to trust Him. That's your problem. If you could trust Him, you'd be amazed by how He sorts out the situation. You'd be amazed by how you look at the situation differently. You're asking God, will you give me this thing? Will you make me this way? And God asks you a question. Will you trust me? So rather than pray for what you want or pray for what you think you need, pray for what God wants of you. Instead of praying for what you want from God, pray for what God wants from you, and it is always faith to trust Him. Now, faith is a gift. I don't know if you've read that in the Bible, but it's all over the New Testament. It's not something you can conjure up by yourself. God needs to give it to you. But you have the freedom as a human being 
without anyone twisting your arm, to ask your Creator to give you the ability to simply trust Him. Maybe it's just saying, I want to believe that you are real and that you're trustworthy. Or maybe it is, I want to stop being angry and I want to be able to forgive people. Whatever, that, whatever it might be. Stop asking God to just make you, for instance, because I think we all struggle with forgiveness. You can stop asking God to just make you a forgiving person. Of course that's important, but start here. Just say, God, can, I'm going to trust you. I cannot forgive this person, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you can do in me something I can't do in myself. Maybe the reason you can't forgive somebody is because they've hurt you so deeply. And so you say, God, give me the simple faith to trust you. That even though they've hurt me, you will not. That even though they've hurt me, and there are ways in this life that I may never physically or psychologically recover from that hurt, that you have covered over their sin. Because if they're a believer in Jesus, then Jesus has died for their sin. And if they're not a believer, Jesus is coming back to deal with them and their sin. So God, give me the simple faith to trust you with this situation that I get no relief over and cannot forgive. Help me to just trust you. And you start there. And as you're, as you're able to finally just trust him that, that he's got your back, that he's going to take care of you, that you have sins too, that God's forgiven. You start there. You discover, you discover, as you're able to simply trust him, the burden of grief and shame and hurt, uh, the sadness you have uh, from a broken relationship is not as insurmountable to you as you thought it was. You're defining yourself less by what you've lost, less by what's been done to you. You define yourself more by who God is what He's promised to you, which is to not leave you, to not forsake you, to provide what He knows you need, and more than anything, that your own sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And you will begin to actually believe that nothing is too hard for God. He can give you the simple trust to forgive somebody. He can give you the assurance that even if there's a broken relationship, even if you are broken, you are not forgotten by Him. And His promises to you will remain. So if you have mocked God, you know, if, you have, if you have mocked God, whether it was an audible laugh or just something in your heart, if you have mocked God by just not trusting Him, you're in good company. You're surrounded by people who have doubted God. We've all mocked Him in some way. So you've come to the right place. And maybe one of the most respected Christians to ever live who wrote more than half of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, you're in good company with him as well because that's exactly what he said about himself to his friend Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, he said, though formerly I was a blasphemer. You know what it means to blaspheme? It just means to completely laugh at and mock and be opposed to the God of the Bible and what he says. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. And an insolent opponent. I received mercy, Paul went on to say. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love 
that are in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I didn't believe. I was against God. I mocked him proudly, but he was patient with me. He was patient. And he gave me the gift of faith. What we're trying to get to in our lives is further away from Sarah's doubt and closer to the Virgin Mary's belief, her simple trust, right? Because the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says something, even I think even more outrageous, right? You tell a 90-year-old woman she's going to give birth and she has a husband. You tell a young girl, a young girl who's a virgin, she's going to have a baby. What's more outrageous? And yet, young Mary is visited by Gabriel the angel. The angel says, you're going to have, you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. You're going to conceive in a very unnatural way. And Mary's response was, and I quote, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So what was lacking in Sarah in Genesis 18, you see in Mary. And that's where the God of the Bible is bringing us. He's bringing us to the point where we can say to him, ah, I am your servant. Let it be as you have said. I accept this because nothing is too wonderful for you. Mary would eventually watch her son grow up and begin to doubt him. Okay, so we still have to actively struggle in faith against our temptation to disbelieve. But ultimately, there's grace. And Sarah received it because the author of Hebrews tells us, this is Hebrews chapter 11, in the New Testament, says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So all we get from the author of Genesis in this account is that Sarah laughed at the idea. She just, it's like, come on, seriously? No way. What the New Testament tells us is she came around. She came around. She trusted And the next time we learn about Sarah and laughter, it'll be in a few weeks, it's going to be a different kind of laughter. It's going to be redemptive. So stick around and see. Living by faith requires an active, not a passive. Faith is not passive, even though it is a gift of God. Exercising faith is not passive. Living by faith requires an active struggle to overcome our doubt with the promises of God revealed to us in His Word by the counsel of the Holy Spirit of God convincing us that it's true and by a multitude of counselors. All of us, we need each other to remind one another. It's one of the most important issues for Christian community. You don't go through it alone. We need each other because we struggle with doubt and we need each other to be reminded of what is true. When I forget that God can do all things, You'll have to remind me, and I'll remind you. So as an individual, and, and let's, let's do this, search your heart for the hidden places where you still laugh at God. They're there. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, they're really sneaking out. They found dark little corners in your life and your habits and in your thinking. Find them. By the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, find me. You have the freedom to find them. Search them out. Ask Him. Search me, God. See if there's any wicked way in me. 
as David said in Psalm 139. Search me out. Try me. Test my anxious thoughts. Look for the hidden places in you and still laugh at God in doubt. And then utter this simple prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, but help my unbelief. And you will be able to say that you agree with the prophet Jeremiah who said that nothing is too hard We believe, Father, help our unbelief. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, who never doubted you as a man who suffered what we suffer, who struggled what we struggle, and yet suffered and struggled far more than we do. Thank you that he was patient with the people who doubted him. He even forgave them. He was patient with them enough until they came around and began to trust him. And even when they stepped back again and again, trusted them, and he gave them the keys to the kingdom. That is remarkable, Father, that you and your Son and your Spirit would trust people who still struggle to trust you. Thank you that the power comes from you. We know it doesn't come from us. So, in Jesus Christ's name, and in faith of his promises, reminded that he is trustworthy and patient with us, we ask you to increase our faith. Thank you.